Philippians 2.4 says to look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. We've been talking a lot about how to do that past couple episodes, but what if the other person's interests are sinful? Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. Hey, look, they're coming again. I wouldn't have thought that through the way they were treated last time. I wouldn't have thought we'd ever see them again. I'm surprised, but, but now it looks like there's more of them, a lot more of them. In fact, whoa, look down there. There's a bunch of, oh, man, there's hundreds of them. And this time they, they've got swords. Oh, boy, this isn't good. You better go tell Abigail. Go run and tell her. Tell her what? Tell her that over the last six months, every time we were out in the field, the only reason our master's sheep didn't get stolen was because of them. They were like a wall around us. They protected us, and there was a bunch of times when gangs would come, and they would have cleaned us out, but David's men stepped in and protected us. (laughs) When they were dumb enough to try to attack, they didn't last five minutes against David's guys. And besides that, these guys, they were so nice to us. They were always helping. Every time we needed something, they were lending us a hand, being kind to us. They've been so good to us. And so last week, David sent like a dozen guys to come and meet Nabal, our master, and and uh, just ask him for a little food. That's all he asked for, which <laughs> we owe them a lot more than just a little food. But Nabal was his typical proud, arrogant self, and he belittled them, he insulted them, and then sent them away. Empty-handed. So, so go, go, go on and, t- and tell Abigail. She'll know what to do. And tell her it's not just a dozen men this time. It's like 400 of them. And they're armed. And they're mad. Let's go. So the servant runs. He tells Abigail. Abigail gets the news and she goes out to meet David. The woman is fearless. And when she meets David, here's what David says. First Samuel 25, 22. May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave one male among all of them alive. He's just going to slaughter not just Nabal, everybody, all the servants, all the workers, all the every son, every last male on that property. It's going to be a bloodbath. That's what pride and arrogance will do for you. That's where it will get you. When you feel the need to hang on to your pride, you know, stand up for your rights and your dignity. When you find yourself thinking, I'm not backing down in this argument because, you know, I've got my pride. I'm not going to let them win. When you're tempted to stubbornly hold your ground in an argument just so that the other person doesn't have the satisfaction of winning, remember this. This is where pride gets you. Destruction. It never pays off. You'll end up like Nabal, who ended up being killed. Proverbs 15:25 The Lord tears down the proud man's house. That's what will happen to you if you hang on to pride. Proverbs 16:5 The Lord detests all the proud in heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. The higher I lift myself up, the farther I push myself away from the presence of God. Psalm 138:6 Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. When I reach out for God 
in a time of need, he will be nowhere to be found if I cling to my pride. And on that day when when the storm hits and my life collapses with a great crash because of uh, my pride, God will not be there to help me in that moment. But on the other hand, God is near to the humble, near to the lowly. Because look what this verse says. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. He looks upon humility draws the gaze of almighty God. Drawing his gaze means attracting his grace. Did you know that you can do something that actually attracts grace from God? The more you humble yourself, the more you draw grace from God. You attract his grace. That's James 4, 6. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. How do you resolve a conflict where there's different positions, different interests? Collaboration is when I actually adopt your interests into my own heart. You adopt my interests into your heart. So now I've got two sets of interests and you have two sets, the same two sets of interests. And so we're one now. What if the other person's interests are sinful? Obviously, if somebody has a sinful interest, you can't adopt that as your own. You can't serve that interest. So what should you do? You're in a dispute, you discover the, under, the person's underlying interest and what they want is uh, revenge. <laughs> you know, Or they want to commit immorality. Or That's their objective, that's their interest. Um, if that's the case, the place to go isn't Philippians 2.4. The place to go there is Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught by a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself or you may also be tempted. So... You gently, respectfully, lovingly, firmly try to bring that person to repentance. James 5.19 Brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So when they have sinful interests, uh, your goal is to bring them gently, bring them to repentance. And one of the most powerful ways to do that, one of the most powerful tools you can ever use to, to soften a sinner's heart and bring him to repentance is to do this, to show them, to respectfully show them a godly interest that they have that they've lost sight of and just remind them of it. And the, such a great example of that is Abigail in 1 Samuel 25. She just had a masterful way of doing this. This is the story that I started the sermon with. Prideful Nabal had insulted David and his men, and so now David was furious and he was going to come and wipe them out. God was, God was going to deal with Nabal. God was going to punish Nabal for his pride, and that was the point I made at the beginning of the sermon is, don't be like Nabal with pride because you end up dead. Okay, so God's going to deal with that. But this isn't the right way. Not through David taking revenge. That's not the right way. Revenge is never a good thing. And so, thankfully, someone was smart enough to go tell Abigail, Nabal's wife. And so, Abigail, look at verse 18. 1 Samuel 25, 18. 
Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayas of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Just a massive amount of food she's going to ship off here. Now, remember, there's a conflict between David and this household. What were David's initial interests in this conflict? When he first sent the guys there, what was his interest? What did he want? Food, right? He wanted food, and he also wanted some respect. So what does Abigail do? She Those aren't sinful interests, so she serves them. She's like, food? Okay, let's give him food. And he wants respect. She gives him respect. Look at verses 23 all the way through 35. The whole time she's talking is the most respectful language imaginable. So so that's fine. She'll, she'll serve those interests. But mixed in with those okay interests is a sinful interest. What is his other interest right now? Revenge. He wants revenge. That's the one thing I love about Abigail is she she's, she doesn't just make it all or nothing. Usually we see a guy bent on revenge and we say, sin, and that's all there is. She says, sin, but the thing about the food and the respect, that's not sin. I, I can serve that interest. She, she separates out the okay interest and the sinful one. She serves the okay interests. But what does she do with this sinful interest? How is this woman going to deal with an out-of-control, angry, vengeful David? What she does is she reminds David of a godly interest that he had, but he lost sight of it in this moment. Namely, fighting only God's battles and letting God fight his battles. Someone hurts you, you don't hurt them back, you let God fight that battle. You fight God's battles. That's the way David lived his life up till now. He hasn't violated it. He's done that his whole life. And she just, that's the way David wanted to live. But he'd lost sight of it. And so she just reminds him in verse 28. Please forgive your servant's offense. For the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master. Because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. David, you're the guy who fights the Lord's battles, not your own battles. And she just reminds him, look, you've placed yourself in a position of God's blessing. Stay there. Because that's where uh, you've always trusted God to fight your battles for you. But now all that's in jeopardy. She doesn't say that, but she's she's implying that's all that's in jeopardy now. She knows that in his heart, David wants to have a clear conscience before God. He desires to do what's right before God. He's a believer. But he's lost sight of it. In this case, he's lost sight of it. And so Abigail reminds him in respectful language, says, uh, don't forget this. And it's not just respectful language, it's inspiring language. Look at verse 29. She says, even though someone is pursuing your life, uh, pursuing you to take your life, uh, the, the life of my master will be bound up securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. So he's like, you're, you, dude, you don't have to protect yourself. You don't have to fight your own battles. God will take care of you. He'll protect you. She reminds him of that. And then listen to this. But the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Interesting metaphor, huh? Suppose that just the random metaphor she came up with? That's a very calculated metaphor, isn't it? She's reminding David of, like, the greatest moment of his life when he trusted God and fought the Lord's battles and trusted God to protect him. Verse 30, when the Lord has done for my master every good thing he has promised him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have this 
on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. See, when the other person has a sinful interest, chances are you've got these these, these non-sinful ones mixed in. You get those, you, you serve those, and then you remind him, look, the sinful interest, you don't want to have a guilty conscience, do you? You're going to be glad if you do the right thing. And, and another thing we can learn here from Abigail is um, she shows confidence that he will do the right thing. You ever had somebody assume you're going to sin? I've had that with people who say, I know you're going to probably do, and then it's the most sinful option possible. That hurts when someone says that to you. It's, 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 it's inspiring, though, when they do the opposite, when they just assume the best. Look at verse 26. I think this is fascinating. She's speaking in the past tense already. She's like, now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and avenging yourself with your own hands, like, God prevented you from doing this horrible thing you were about to do. What's happening there? Picture the scene. She's standing there. David is standing there with a sword in his hand, 400 of his men, all armed, ready to slaughter this entire household. And she says, hey, the Lord kept you from bloodshed. She just assumes that he's going to take that sword, put it, put it away, turn around, and go back home. And he's just, she's just assuming, you're going to do the right thing. I know you are. Praise God, you're doing the right thing. And one more thing she does. Another thing we can learn. She points David to God's promise. Um, God had promised David a lasting dynasty, and, and she reminds him of that in verse 28 and attaches it to David's faithfulness. So she, she says, the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master because, and you can underline that, because he fights the Lord's battles. You don't have to take anything by force, David. Uh, God will give you everything. He's promised you everything. Um, and, and, and since you're going to obey him, he's going to take care of you. So the point of that is, uh, look, you can trust God. You don't have to revert to sin in order to uh, serve your interests. And that's what we tell the sinner when we're trying to bring them to repentance. Look, you don't have to do this. You don't, you've got these interests, you can serve your interests. You don't have to revert to sin. God has promised if you remain faithful, He will serve your interests. He will bless you. He will give you everything you need and He will supply you with joy and He'll supply you with far more than you could ever get through sin. Remind the person. Don't just yell at them. Don't just rebuke them. Don't just give them the cold shoulder. Just remind them gently. Look, this is, this is what the Bible promises. Abigail is so wise because she gives David a perspective on the past, present, and future. That's a good model for how to bring somebody to repentance. Think about in the past. Remember what it was like to walk with God? Remember when you were walking with Him and you were walking in obedience? Wasn't your life better then than it is now? Don't you remember? Your conscience was clear and, and you had God's favor and you had meaning and you had purpose in life. Wasn't that great? Don't you want that again? Don't you want to, and then present. Don't you want to go to bed tonight with a clear conscience? Wouldn't that be nice? Trust God right now and He'll take care of this problem you have. He'll take care of it. And then future. Set your hope on what God has promised if you remain faithful to Him. This kind of humility is so important. Um, it's so important that God doesn't, He's not even content to just teach us this and just tell us to do this. 
he actually decided that in order for us to get it, he would actually come down, become a man, and show us how it's done. So that's what the incarnation is. Remember, Jesus came into this world not just to die on the cross. If Jesus' only reason to come into this world was to die on the cross, he could have just arrived here as an adult, and the whole thing could have happened in one day. He comes down, and he's here for 30-plus years, living a life. He's showing us exactly what this looks like. And Paul is going to spell that out in some detail in verses 5 to 11. Uh, gave us the motivation in verse 1, then the mandate, then the means, and now he's going to give us the model and show us what it's like. And that's where we'll plan on picking it up next time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we read this, and it, it sounds good to us. It sounds beautiful. I mean, these, these kinds of interactions, these kinds of relationships, they look, this is what we want. This is the way we want to be. And yet we get into a, somebody hurts us and it's like, we forget it. We forget everything. And all we want to do is just snap back and get a little bit of revenge and we forget all these principles of the moment when we need them. Lord, we just need your grace. Oh, Lord, grant us through your spirit that you, you would speak to us, shout in our hearts at that moment when somebody hurts us, slights us, to do this. To not take our eye off of their interests. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Think of the most humble, Abigail-like person you know. I'm guessing that person is one of your favorite people. What is it specifically about that person that's attractive to you? What specific traits does that person have that you could work on imitating? And do you know someone who's going in a bad direction in some area? Maybe the bad direction is they're hurting you or someone you love. Give some thought to how you could be an Abigail to that person. Appeal to some good interests that they've had in the past. And then express your confidence that they will do the right thing and live in line with those good interests that they've indicated is their desire. Be an Abigail to someone you know, and also, maybe you need to be your own Abigail. We all have a war between the spirit and the flesh. Part of you wants to do things that you know aren't pleasing to God, and the other part of you wants to resist those temptations. Remind yourself of your best purposes and desires. Call to memory some times when you lived according to those good desires and how fulfilling that was. Use that to inspire your soul and resist anything that would pull you in another direction. Father, make my love increase and overflow for the people in my church and for everyone else. Strengthen my heart and the hearts of my family so that we will be blameless and holy in your presence when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Teach me how to be like Abigail. It probably wouldn't be that hard to spot some godly interest in my opponents if, I, if my heart were just willing. Soften my heart towards those who hurt me or oppose me. Teach me to treasure brother and sister relationships in your household above my own preferences and opinions. And show me how I can be an Abigail to myself. Remind me of those times when I've walked in your ways and received grace from you. 
when my conscience was clear and I was close to you. Remind me of how wonderful that was and how much strength it gave me to endure suffering with joy. Help me to remember it vividly enough that my soul would long for that with a desire greater than my desire for any sin because your love is better than life. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.